Amen. Amen. To the Lord, Lord. You know, we come to a day like today where we see the joy and the beauty of someone sharing their testimony and their steps in faith. It's a powerful thing, especially in a time when we turn on the news any given time as this weekend and we see so much the world needs the Lord and to live for the Lord. And it makes us ask questions. I hope it makes you ask questions like, where am I? Where are you? Where are you going? Where are you in this journey of life that is just a vapor? Because God has given us the time that he does give us, as short as it is, to do something great. So where are you in that journey? Because the goal of the Christian life, it is not just to go to heaven. As great as a gift that is, it is not just that. It is not just to get to heaven, but it's a call to join God's purposes for your life, for you, and the church. We must understand that God has ordained the church to have power and authority. He has not ordained a person or anything per se to have authority. He gives power through his church. And here at Highland Hills, we share our vision all the time and we need to be reminded of it. And it's this, is that we want to help people take their next step in Christ. Wherever they're at on this journey, and our purpose and action is come experience God, belong, grow in community, share, give of yourself. Because we feel like that really helps us put some action steps behind what we believe and what we know that God has called us to. And something that's been on my heart really for some time, but especially over the last year, is that we really help people to know how to take steps within those action steps. To know how to, if you will, have a discipleship pathway to take steps to know, hey, where am I at? What have I done? What have I not done? And it's not that it's about checking boxes, but it's to be moving forward so that we don't get stuck. And so we've been looking at what we would call a simple pathway to discipleship that will help us to really, I believe, have greater connection and transformation in what we would call missional living. And so this series is about that, a very short series introducing us to what we call and are going to call the pathway. And the pathway helps us ensure that we're going to help accomplish our vision and our mission with every person that enters the doors at Highland Hills Church and sees this as their possible home to be a part of and to serve the Lord. Because our responsibility... I believe we have a kingdom responsibility as this church to make sure that we are doing this. It's to make certain we are doing things like evangelizing the lost and equipping the believers to become fully devoted disciples. And the pathway will help us to do that. Think of it this way, very simply. If you think you're going from point A to point B, and to help you illustrate this, if point A would be no connection or relationship with God whatsoever, and then point B is to be fully engaged and all-out follower of Jesus Christ, 
That is our goal, is to help lead us along that path. The pathway where no matter where we are, because we're on this journey together, to provide a step-by-step, if you will, easy to understand kind of systematic process of getting from the very beginning to the final destination as an engaged follower of Jesus. Because here's what we've learned, and we're still learning it here at our church today, that through the years, if people spiritually take kind of the nonchalant method and kind of journey on their own, what it usually happens is they either end up Seldomly, they end up being not fully engaged. What happens more often than not is they'll stall out along the way or they will give up on the trip, if you will, altogether. And that's what we don't want. So this morning, we are going to be introducing the first part of what is six steps, three classes also that we'll share about next week, but we'll start with two steps today in this discipleship process, and obviously these help support the first part of our purpose and action of come experience God. Let's begin by going to the scripture, because I believe as we pick up, if you were here last week, we looked intently at Acts chapter 8 at the last part of this chapter, and we're going to look at a little more of it that we did not get into very much last week, because it absolutely explains exactly what our first two steps of the pathway um, very well. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, and we're just going to pick up in verse 32. If you need, um, don't have your Bibles today, it'll be on the screen. We also have the Uversion Bible app where you can go there, and the notes and the scriptures are there as well. Beginning in verse 32, this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with the very passage of scripture that he was reading. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now, verse 37, you will see, has little brackets. You don't see the verse there uh, in the NIV. It's footnoted because some of the original manuscripts, as I explained last week, um, did not include this. Some did. But if you look at your footnotes, and maybe if you've got a newer translation, it says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in verse 38, he said, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azutus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So you've got Philip, the evangelist, one of the original deacons, and he begins going down this desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he went on because we learned from the scripture earlier in the passage that God's spirit led him to do this. God moved in his life and told him to go in that direction. And on the road, Philip met an Ethiopian eunuch who had been in Jerusalem actually to worship. 
And here was a man who had wealth and success and all of those things, and he was empty. And so he would go, he was going to worship to find hope, to find an answer, because he had everything else, but he was hopeless. And he was now sitting in his chair, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, because again, he's looking for answers. He's wanting the scripture just to speak to him something to give him some hope in his life. And Philip meets him, and he begins talking to him. And eventually, we see, as we just read, it leads him to faith in Christ. And he did it by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, showing him what to absolutely share from the book of Isaiah there, to tie that, as we see there, to Jesus being the lamb that was slain for our sin. But then watch what really happens in verse 36 into verse 37. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the first step of a Christian. That is the first step of the pathway. And it's simply this. Come to know God personally through Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian, he had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And the Holy Spirit was at work. And yes, as he heard the gospel, as he heard the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving grace, he believed And he tuned in to the message of Christ and he responded by placing his trust in Jesus. That is the most important step, not only as a Christian, but it's the most important step you'll ever make in your life. It's the most important decision. It's what you were created actually to do. You were not created to have a big house and to have fame and to have a doctor initials before your name or anything you want to fill the blank in for what you might quantify as success. God gave you life so that you would surrender it back to him and that you would be saved, that you would have a personal relationship with Christ. You could walk in his forgiveness God asked us all to respond to him by placing our faith in the Savior of the world, the only one who can give us hope, the only one that can save us, Jesus. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died for your sins while you didn't deserve it. He was buried in death and was raised again to life so that your sins would be forgiven. Death was conquered for you. Do we live like that? Death was conquered for you. And today, he wants that personal relationship with you. A small secret, Jesus is the key to transformation in your life. There's nothing else. Because it's only Jesus that can change your heart. We can do a lot of things. We can exercise. We can do a lot of stuff to change things about us physically, to make us feel better in our feelings end of the day it is only Christ that can change our heart some of you today if you're ready to receive him 
I pray that you don't ignore that. I pray as the Spirit is tugging your heart that you do not ignore that and you will have an opportunity this morning to do just that. If you have questions, maybe you're like, man, I've just got a lot more questions. I want to encourage you to talk to someone. Talk to someone who has been a believer. Talk to someone you know that can answer questions for you. If you're a person that's kind of like, man, I don't know anybody that I'm scared to talk to somebody about that. I don't don't even know what to ask. I encourage you to another website. It's called knowhimpersonally.com. All together, knowhimpersonally.com. It'll take many of the things I've shared in a, in a nutshell here and give you a lot more scripture to it, give you a lot more depth to what I don't have time to go into in just these few minutes this morning. I want to invite you to do that. So know Christ personally. Know God personally. The Ethiopian, he makes his faith very personal. It is his decision. He does this by the Spirit's help, but he does this on his own. And then something else happens. He's baptized. And that leads to the second step of the pathway. After we have a personal relationship with Christ, we need to be baptized. We need to be baptized. Go back and look with me at verse 38 and 39. And so now they're, they're here, they're in the chariot, and he says, look, here's water. What's stopping me from doing this? And then in verse 38, he says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch, they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. In these two verses, we learn a lot about baptism. And let's, I want to take this moment, these last few minutes I've got, and just kind of walk us through some things that we learn here and we understand to answer some questions. First of all, who is to be baptized? The Ethiopian, he says, man, what stands? He's asking Philip, what can stand the way of me doing this? And the answer to the eunuch's question is obvious. He could be baptized because he has placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Only those who believe in Christ as their Savior are qualified to be baptized. The reason for this is what? It's what baptism even signifies, the very symbol that it stands for. Jesus commanded his church to go and make disciples, to baptize them as a way to identify themselves as belonging to him. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is why we are baptized. I love when you go back to history sometimes and look at things and you look in the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture term for baptism is mikvah. Now obviously they would look at this as full immersion for the purpose of symbolizing cleansing. They did this for many different things. It's, in the Old Testament, you, you can see about it, especially in the ritual of if they've been considered unclean, maybe due to an illness or touching a dead body or any of those other things which might have caused one to be considered unclean. They would then be unfit to worship God or to associate with people. And so they would go into what was considered the mikvah to be cleansed. And 
And I love this picture because obviously with Jesus' background, he basically, in his word, and himself being baptized by John the Baptist, he says, no, I've instituted a new baptism as a symbol that has been replaced and of a person that is repented and placed their faith in the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, receiving the cleansing made possible through the sacrifice of the bloodshed on the cross. That was powerful. And so for you and I, it's like, in a sense, a, a wedding ring. A wedding ring is an outward symbol that a person is married. I share this in my starting point class every time. If I don't have this ring on or if I didn't have a ring, does that make me less married? No. However, I should want to show this. Because it is a symbol of what is in my heart for my wife. It is a symbol of the relationship that we have. As Christians, it's an act of obedience that we should want to do. And so water baptism is designed by God to identify a person as a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. This is why infants should not be baptized. An infant cannot decide to become a follower of Christ. Only one with an awareness of their accountability to a holy God can knowingly repent and choose to be saved. I've wondered for years about the traditions in other denominations and why do we have things like infant baptism. And from the history that I can glean, how did the practice of infant baptism develop? It was a result of false teaching about baptism. It was a false teaching that baptism saves, and we still have denominations in this world that believe that. But we only have to go even just to the book of Acts in chapter 2 and chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 16, even chapter 18, but especially Acts 19. To see that one isn't baptized to be saved, they are baptized because they are saved. Acts 19, verses 4 and 5, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, as the false teaching that baptism saves spread, the conclusion was that people needed to be baptized as young as possible. And so infant baptism came into play. We're going to come back to that a little more in a minute, but water baptism is a step of obedience to be done after salvation, after we have professed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know this is going to sound a little old school, but I do think that this should be part of it. And it's obviously part of the baptism as well. We should not be publicly ashamed to profess that faith before others. There was a reason years ago in churches that we had people stand down front after the decision in Christ. And it wasn't to embarrass them. It was not to make them feel whatever. But it was because they, we wanted to share that public profession so that the brothers and sisters in Christ would know that they believe as they do. 
and they want to unite with the church as they have believed. It's our identification in him. Baptism doesn't save us, but it does show others that we identify with him. So, more questions. When are we to be baptized? When you look at this passage, we quickly see the urgency in the eunuch wanting to get baptized. Because basically, they're in the chariot, and he's like, stop, whoa, let's get this done. There's water, let's do this. And the Bible shows multiple examples of baptism being as soon as possible. And here's the point. Baptism is to be put off. Why? Because Christ commanded his followers to publicly declare faith in him through baptism. And if I'm serious about following Jesus, I will want to do his will. I don't have time to get into it, but I've seen the enemy take someone who is alive in Christ, completely be broken of their sin, give their life to Christ, and they will be like, no, I'm going to wait on this baptism thing. I'm just going to wait a little while. I'm going to make sure I got my life all together before I do that. And the enemy will use that. And he will get you to doubt, he gets people to doubt that decision. And he uses that to doubt even that step of faith. To where they don't feel worthy enough to be baptized still. Or they put it off and then like, well, it's not as near as important as it might have seemed three weeks ago. There was an urgency in his heart to do this and to, to, to follow in obedience. Let me take it one step further. In light of the price that believers have play, paid in the past, and even in the present, especially in places where believers can lose their lives, the secret church, those things. It makes the procrastination of many here in the United States look to be at best empty excuses. And worse, evidence that I've got to wonder if their life has truly been impacted and changed by the living Lord. No matter what we We aren't baptized in order to be saved, but if we're truly saved, we should want to be baptized. We should want to. If it meant something to Jesus, it should mean something to us. Now, how are we to be baptized? Well, if you look back here in the verses of 38... When they both, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water and Philip baptized him, when they came up out of the water, there was enough water here for both of them. There was enough water here to cover them. And it tells us that he, he was obviously immersed. When you look at the word baptism, it occurs 116 times in the New Testament. And if you look at the Greek word used there, it's baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse. And I'm not here to poke fun. I just simply say, if the Bible says that baptism is by immersion, why would we not want to do it that way? And so the question becomes, well, where did things like sprinkling and pouring come from in other denominations? Well, let's go back to infant baptism because it connects. 
as infant baptism became popular, what was happening is infant baptism became, as it became more common, so did the deaths of infants as they would baptize them. Early on in the, in the process, especially in the Catholic Church, they would actually baptize the infants three times completely under the water. And some of them would actually drown. Because they wanted to do the baptism symbolizing the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, Spirit. And so because of that, alternatives to that began to come forth. Sprinkling, pouring. I don't want to get into all of that, but baptism is still practiced today in all modes all over the world. And I just simply ask this question, why is the mode important? Because I think we want to do it God's will, God's way. The way he has shown us in scripture. Why would we want to add to that or change that? And also because of the picture that baptism absolutely portrays in immersion. What is it? Baptism portrays this perfect illustration of my death and burial and resurrection in Christ. The very picture of what Christ did for me, I am doing in the symbol and the picture of baptism. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's been shared as he baptized Griffin Day, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Baptism is this outward expression of an inward experience that has happened in our heart and in our soul. And I love the way Paul puts this. Romans chapter 6, the first five verses. He says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. Who, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that. Whoo, man, it chills up my, my, my neck. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Because of our salvation in Christ Jesus, the old wickednesses of life is dead. The old ways of living are dead. The old worldliness of loves is dead. Salvation is buried the old wicked life. Salvation is buried the old ways of living. Salvation buries your old worldly loves. And we are delivered in the salvation, not in the baptism, in what Christ has done. But baptism then shows that I show the world that I'm a changed person. I am a Christian person, but even more than that, I am Christ's person. The Ethiopian, he didn't get to see Philip again. 
God took him right away. Yet we see that he goes on his way rejoicing. And when I think about that picture, this should be our heart. This should be our heart. As saved followers of Christ, this should be our heart. This should also be our heart as in reaction of when one gives their life to Christ and follows in obedience of baptism. I mean, I can remember the day when people would be baptized and we would be so excited. We couldn't quit thinking about it. We'd celebrate in our churches Sunday night all week long and on and on. Because it meant that much. And now what happens is when someone's baptized, we're like, The Bible tells us that even the angels stop and, and, and sing and praise when someone gives their life to the Lord. We need more rejoicing like the angels instead of so much complaining and dissatisfaction. It might be if we would get our perception on what God is trying to show us and do through his church and through the people that he gives us the blessing and opportunity to reach, we might actually get some traction in the pathway of our lives. And I can't help, but as I look at things like this weekend, and I would venture to say, as the end times draw closer and closer, and if you don't believe it, read Revelation As those times draw closer and closer, will we still be the church? <laughs> right now, God is still giving us some time. What are you going to do with that time? Two of the most important steps as a Christian you can ever take are the two we've shared this morning. To know God personally through Jesus Christ and to follow in the obedience of being baptized. Where are you in those steps? There are some of you here today, you've been a part of this church a long time, and you've never been baptized. And if I were to ask you if you were following Jesus Christ, you'd say, yes, sir. But have you been baptized? Because you should. Way too many people have been herded through baptistries and even creeks all over this United States and beyond, also without ever accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior. And only the Lord and you know if that's happened in your heart. Only the Lord and you know if your baptism represented something factual, meaning that you were truly saved or not. Did you have something to truly rejoice that happened in your heart and you knew that you were saved just like the unit did? Or did your baptism really represent a false claim? I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in here today as we close. And I know that some of this was pretty hard-hitting today, and I want you to just kind of lean in 
and, and see what God is speaking to you about in this. First of all, do you personally know Jesus as your Savior and Lord today? Have you acknowledged your need for him? Meaning admitting that you are a sinner and you desire to turn from that sin. For we are all born into this world with a sin debt. Have you turned from that sin to give your life to Christ? Do you believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again to be your Savior, providing forgiveness for your sins? We look at the picture of the thief on the cross and other things, and I will tell you, I would never say that baptism is required to go to heaven. I will tell you this you can't go to heaven without a blood baptism unless you have surrendered your heart to what Jesus the blood that he shed for you and his broken body that he died for you and that he rose again three days later it cannot be forgiven and when we do that our sins are washed white as snow is that you today? Do you need to make that decision in your life? Maybe you're here and I would ask the question, are you a candidate for baptism? You've just not done it yet. You, you know that you're a follower of Christ, but you've not done it. Maybe you've delayed it. I just simply ask, why don't you commit today to get that done? Perhaps you're a believer who's never been immersed completely baptized into the water and raised a new life in the picture. Why not do it God's way? Why not do it the way he tells us in scripture and the example he did for us? As I say that, I've had so many people take offense to that, to maybe what they've done in their past. And I just simply ask you, do you really understand why you did what you did in the past? not there's nothing wrong with being baptized the way God has asked us to don't be prideful in being offended by that be obedient in how he's called you to do it I'll be glad to talk with you about that maybe you have other concerns today on your heart maybe there's some things like this tragedy this weekend, our nation, maybe there's things personally in your life that you want to come and just pray at this altar as we sing. You feel welcome to do that. We'll have prayer counselors down here as well if you'd like someone to pray with. The pathway of our journey with the Lord is important. Where are you in these first two steps? Where is God leading you? Father God, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the beautiful picture that you lay out for us as you used Philip to reach the Ethiopian eunuch and you saw his response may we have the same response even father if we grew up in a different belief or we grew up seeing things different God I pray you give us the desire to want the truth and the answers to that that we will honor you and we will obey you and we can walk in the freedom of that 
to reach others for you. Father, I pray you move in this time all over this place through our times of prayer and focus, whatever that is, Father, may you use us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, you come. As God leads, as we sing, you respond. Come to the altar at your seat, at this altar, however God leads.